with Morgan streaking. She's chipping the goalkeeper! The pay disparity between the men and women is, is just too large and, and we want to continue to fight. Uh, the generation of players before us fought and now it's our job to, to keep on fighting. The pay cap for the women's Major League Soccer players is 11 times less than the pay cap for men's Major League Soccer. 11 times. Rapino gets across him. Listening to Give and Go with Rotas Wadera only on Girls Soccer Network. Hello and welcome. You are listening to episode 57 of Give and Go. I am your host, Rotas Wadera, and thank you so, so much for making the choice to listen to us at Girls Soccer Network. It has been a minute, but we have so, so much to get you caught up on. First and foremost, for all the latest and greatest news, analysis, lifestyle, everything that you need from the world of women's soccer, go to www.girlssoccernetwork.com. All the greatest content is out there, and of course, links to Give and Go are there as well. Again, please be sure to use Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. I believe Apple Podcasts is our most popular platform, so again, you can use Siri to say, hey, I want to subscribe to the show, I want to know what the name of this is, I want to play the first episode, you can play specific episodes, you can even play the newest, or just share it, leave us a review, everything is appreciated, guys, we love the feedback, we need it, and so, again, we are super appreciative of each and every one of you tuning in and listening to this show, we have an incredible upcoming slate of content coming for you courtesy of the united soccer coaches convention girls soccer network had a booth there on podcast row and we got the opportunity to really talk about our company um, at the convention really kind of show everyone who we are and and our founder and uh and editor-in-chief jen gruskoff has done an amazing job of going there year after year this was my first time there and it was an amazing experience we have so much content coming for you you have no idea first off we have marguerite alzaza from ucla the superstar head coach who has made a big splash in her first year at ucla winning the national championship the first coach to ever do that we have a super Super in-depth interview with her. We got myself. We have Sam Carey, who was there with us as well, the captain for the University of Iowa soccer team. So it's a great conversation. You definitely don't want to miss that. As well as a ton of other things to preview for the future, we have some other names like Julianne Sitch, who just won a national championship at the University of Chicago at the D3 level, the first woman to ever lead a men's team to a national championship. That will be coming in a later episode. We have Hugh Menzies, who did amazing things with the reggae girls, taking them to their first ever World Cup and then becoming the first black coach in the NWSL for Gotham FC. So we have him. We have Sarah Loden, who was the first team assistant head coach at, uh, for the Houston Dash, who took over briefly last year and got... You know, is now still with the team and a big integral part of what they do on their coaching staff is a key member who cares about people. All of that is still to come. We have so much great content coming for you. First and foremost, again, just want to get you caught up on the convention, some of the stuff we did out there. We had a presentation where Jen and Sam actually talked about kind of the power of social media and how we can use it to inspire young women such as yourself. So again, Go check us out on Instagram at Girl Soccer Network, on Twitter at Girl Soccer Net. Instagram is naturally where 
We are the biggest right now, and we will continually, you know, appreciate your support as we continue to to grow here through whether it's the podcast, whether it's through content. We are just super excited to bring you some great stuff moving forward. Before we go on into the interview, because I don't want to delay that, it's it's a huge one, and it's important to hear kind of some of the great stories that Marguerite has to say about her team and the year that she had and her experiences. First and foremost, one of the best things about the convention was having Scratch Labs there sponsoring us. Uh, they have a tremendous line of products. They've been in the cycling space previously. They are now venturing into soccer. We've had promotions for them on the podcast before. They do bars, they do hydration mixes, they do energy chews, all different types of of fuel for you as an athlete to really help you out. So again, for Scratch Labs, we have a code if you go to scratchlabs.com and it's scratch with a K. Remember that, scratchlabs.com with the K. Use the code GSN2023, all caps for GSN, to get 25% off your next order. Again, it, it was hilarious because we had so much stuff from Scratch and everyone was coming to us asking for bars, asking for, because everyone's so busy and on the go and these energy bars and a lot of the chews and even the hydration mixes because it was, you're talking, you're on the go all the time. We essentially fed the entire convention. So Scratch Labs, we are eternally grateful to you guys and we're happy to, you know, we're, we're super happy about the partnership. So we will continue to promote Scratch Labs. Again, GSN2023, use that code for 25% off your next order at scratchlabs.com. All right, without further ado, we have to get into Marguerite Auzaza, the UCLA head coach. Here's the interview, guys. Enjoy. We are with Marguerite Auzaza from the UCLA women's soccer team, fresh off of winning a national championship. Marguerite, how are you doing? I'm doing quite well. I'm a little tired. But I'm good. Um, this is kind of the culminating event to the end of our little victory tour of sorts. So it's nice to kind of have a little closure. And everybody here has been so well, like so encouraging, so supportive, so congratulatory that it's been just a very, um, very positive experience. And so I'm kind of closing the closing the door a little bit on the 2022 season. And in fact, we start in three days. I think it's three days. I honestly have lost track, but we start this coming week kind of preparing for the 2023 season. So this was kind of the perfect ending to a great a great run. Now, before we get into you know, more about you and, and your season, would you mind clarifying for everybody, did we pronounce your last name correctly? Oh, yeah, you did great. Okay. You did wonderful. It's Awazasa. It looks way more complicated, I think, than it is. We've gotten some real creative <laughs> creative takes on that, some added letters and everything. So, no, you, you guys did an amazing job. So, since last month has ended, coming off the national championship, how have what, kind, what has it been like for you, the experiences of the craziness of winning? It's been, a, it's been a combination of things. The first emotion was just disbelief. Like, what just happened? Maybe if we had, like, one three zero or something and I had, like, 90 minutes to kind of settle in with the fact that we could win, that might have felt differently. But, like, up until the last 15 seconds, like, I kind of – I was like, well, what am I going to say to the team? Like – you know, we did a great job, and we came so close, and we had a lot to be proud of, and then we scored, and I was like, oh, 
change that. <laughs> Got to think about overtime. Okay, wow, wow. I was like, five minutes to prepare for overtime. Um, so it was just like that disbelief, then just exhaustion because like every single coach in the country knows this. Like leading up to season is so so well, especially for me, it was very like I was anxious I didn't know exactly how it was going to go it's emotionally exhausting it's physically exhausting it's all these things and by the time you get to the end you're like it's almost a war of attrition like are we okay and so there yeah there was just that level of exhaustion and then kind of in waves it would hit me like just how proud I am in part probably the smallest part proud of myself more so proud of our staff proud of our team thankful for everything that we went through thankful for our staff thankful and by staff I mean the support staff that we have around us our administration just like so many people made this possible and so we've just been kind of sitting in a like equilibrium of gratitude just like this is really cool and we're very thankful to be a part of it definitely wanted to ask you you know you talked about feeling anxious and having those emotions but when we are watching you out there you are like unflappable like, same expression. <laughs> we had to ask you, how do you stay so calm and so grounded, even in that down two nil, down 15 minutes, you were talking about how you had to, you know, manage all that. Yeah, so that has definitely been the talk of the town, like, <laughs> the last couple weeks, for sure. And we just, I laugh because I, in the moment, I didn't think it was anything that different. Like, mm-hmm. that's kind of how I coach. It's just at UCLA, the camera's behind our bench, so I don't think people can really see me. <laughs> and then this was, like, you know, totally on display. I kind of laughed. I was like, I feel like I just did, like, a coach's evaluation, but the evaluation was by 70,000 people, and people have so many comments about that. Um, after some reflection, I think the things that it boils down to, like, one, it's just our approach, and I would say this as our staff, our approach to coaching and what your job is as a coach. We feel like the preparation and the quote-unquote coaching, what people think, the instruction, everything like that, the bulk of that is done in training. So someone asked me, are you the same way in training? And I'm like, I think if I was the same way in training, we wouldn't get anything done because I, I, nothing would be said. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not really like that. I'm a lot more directive. I'm a lot more intense. I'm a lot more, um, I don't know how to put that, just maybe more, yeah, just insert myself obviously in a lot more situations. Mm-hmm. Um, but that then allows us to be so calm in the game. I think what we displayed, like in my view, that's the goal. Like, can we prepare our team so well that in the game we get to watch and we get to make adjustments? That would be the next piece. Is like, I see my role in game is to solve problems. Some people, like, it's kind of like peak performance. Like, I don't solve problems that well if I'm screaming and yelling. Maybe others do, that's totally fine. But for me, I'm more analytical. Like, I need to be observing, thinking, okay, this matchup's working, this one's not, this system is presenting spaces in this area, and how do we fix it? Or how do we capitalize on it? Again, I don't think that lends itself to a lot of screaming and yelling and pacing, mm-hmm. but again, everyone does things differently. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing is kind of going to that solution base, and I think it also ties in with trust, is like one of the things I'm most proud of is the trust that we established kind of in three ways, like one, between me and my staff, the staff and me. So. Like, I felt like if there was something to be said or a problem, like, we had the ability to solve it between our staff. Then there was, like, this bridge of trust between the staff and the players. It was like, we trust our players. So I don't have to comment on every single move they make. Like, I just don't. And I think they trust us. So similarly, like, 
they know they're prepared. They know we've got their back. So they can play and they can make decisions and they can do that on the field. And it doesn't require the constant commentary from us. Um, so those are kind of like, I think, the driving factors. The other reason is like, I think I'm just kind of calm in general. <laughs> My good friend was with me yesterday and she was like, I find this really funny because everybody's commenting, but like, that's just how you are in life. So mm-hmm. if they know you, like it's not surprising to anyone, but I do think it was like a stark contrast to what people have in their mind's eye is like what coaching is. Yeah, absolutely. Now, how do you manage expectations from here on out? Like, where do you go from here after winning the national championship in your first ever season as head coach? Yeah, I don't know. Um, (laughs) 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 But um, this conversation was brought up to me. Like, we often talk about how we manage failure. Like, that is such a huge thing. We don't often talk about how we manage success. So this is, again, this is now my first time doing this, right? Like, this was my first year as a head coach. This is now my first time coaching a team that had just won a national championship as a head coach. So um, I don't know exactly where we go, but I do anticipate some challenges. And now the goal is, like, how do we confront those challenges? Um, the biggest one is, like, how do we mitigate complacency? And also, how do we mitigate panic? So the complacency piece is... Obviously, we want to keep striving. We don't want to think that what we did this year is going to work next year. We have to be willing to be flexible. Um, We also have to be willing to strive for more. I think that piece I'm excited about because even our team, we walked off the field and they're like, we could be so much better. And I'm like, yeah, we can. I'm like, we've only got to work with this team for a year. Mm -hmm. Like, imagine what we can do in two years. And I think that's how they felt, which is exciting. I'm almost more nervous about the mitigating panic because obviously we had in so many ways this, like, wonderful season. What happens if we lose our first game next year? Like, what is that going to look like? What are we going to do when we face our first failure? So I think what we'll do a lot of, which will be different, is like talking about that, where it's like, how do we embrace the success we had, take what worked, continue with that, but also prepare for like, what if it doesn't work? And how are we going to be prepared to adapt? So that's kind of where we're going with the program. I think for me personally, I'm just like, I would really like to enjoy this second season more because this last one like was so busy and (laughs) I was trying to do a million things for the first time and my husband like really shook me to reality and he's like you just made the final four it is okay to be excited like because I was like I don't know what we're gonna do like we gotta play Alabama he's like you like need to take a second and enjoy this and I was like Okay. <laughs> I was like, but also we need to leave tomorrow. Like, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to have a, maybe a little more perspective this year. It's amazing. It's amazing. You know, I've actually had the unique opportunity to play UCLA twice in my college soccer career. And so I actually played you this season. I played really? at the University of Iowa. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh. That was <laughs> <laughs> I will say after that first game, I was like, it could be a long season. <laughs> I will take that as a compliment. It was a great compliment. I thought you guys were fantastic. I was like, they're playing a 4-4-2. You got, it is a 4-4-2. Why are we so confused? Why are we so confused? But no, you guys did a, did a great job. Yeah, it was it was great going out there. And so I will say, so we played UCLA in 2021 in the college, oh, yes. or in the NCAA tournament. Yes, and then, oh, which was another thriller. Another thriller. And obviously we were on the upsetting end of both of those. Yeah. But I will say in playing UCLA twice, it felt like two very different teams. Oh, thank you. And I will, and one of it, like coming from the Big mm-hmm. Ten, coming from 
what we call like Midwest mm-hmm. grittiness. Like yeah. we are not afraid to tackle hard yes, and get yes. into it. And the first time we played UCLA, it didn't feel as reciprocated. Mm-hmm. And we all were kind of expecting to go out mm-hmm. to LA and tackle a mm-hmm. bit, you know, yeah. and get into it. And we were surprised by the pushback. Can you talk about more about your emphasis of defense and your UCLA team this year? Yeah, so when I first took over the team, this is, I think, even before I had staff in place, we did a scrimmage, and we didn't even play a lot of minutes because we were in eight hours. So I think we did, like, three 15-minute periods, and the final score was seven to six. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no, that's not good. And the worst part is that the team was really excited because they scored 13 goals. And I was like, right, but you played yourself, so you also let in 13 goals, <laughs> which is, like, not really what we're going for ever. So at that moment, I realized, like, we need to change how we defend. Like, we need to be confident confident in that. We need to be comfortable. We need to have a, a clearer basis of understanding. And so we really, for the next six months, worked on defending. Um, from the very basics to 1v1 defending to individual technique and kind of the thought process of what you should be doing in various parts of the field to how we're going to defend as a back line, as a midfield, so on and so forth, in the press and everything. It took a long, long time. Um, but we said, like, we knew that on the attack we could attack in a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. I felt right away part of after the 7-6, like, our counterattack could be so dangerous. But I'm like, you know what, there's going to be games where we're going to have to defend. But know that, like, even when we're defending, they have to respect our counter. So even though it was like a more defensive mindset, we had to be very careful of going too far defensively. We had to structure it and frame it in a way that it was like, we're defending because we're so good on the counter. Like keep that emphasis on the attack. The other thing is we were very honest with the group. I was like, all right, so your reputation around the country is that you're soft and you don't want to be physical. That is just what it is. Yeah. Not anymore. (laughs) Not anymore. So we had to kind of invite that. Like, we we wear shin guards in training. Most don't. It's interesting. It is really interesting that people don't. Yeah. The reason we do is because I'm like, you know what? Because now you're going to tackle in training. And I think it's mostly psychological Mm -hmm. but um, because their shin guards are tiny. But it's like that has to be part of what we do we don't back out of tackles we don't i'm like no more like dip your toe in the water tackle like you're actually trying to win it um i often say that i'm like please tackle like you're actually trying to win it thank you um (laughs) and we talked about like when we play those teams like there's going to be a day where we play a team like in iowa in our conference like a washington state and i'm like and the whole scout on you will be to just hit you hard Mm -hmm. i was like and we have to prove that that's not going to work I actually laugh because I think in half our games we like out fouled the other team and we would often say to the ref I'm like this cannot be right like the last 10 years we've not fouled anybody like there's no way this can be right like even in the final the first half I think we out fouled 9 to 2 I was like this can't there's no way like that we out fouled them like come on and so that was kind of like a funny thing um but yeah that was a huge emphasis was like physically Mm. like you guys have to be up for the battle like and it's no longer going to be enough to just out muscle us 
which has been in the past, I think, one of the weaknesses. Yeah. And, you know, it's really interesting being in the Big Ten Conference right now because in another year you guys are going to be joining it. And what is that feeling like for you to kind of switch and move into a more Midwestern style? Is that something you've thought about at all? Yeah, I'm excited because I've personally been in the Pac-12 now for eight or nine years. Mm -hmm. Um, Very familiar with, like, the teams. And um, so, like, for instance, this year – one of the one of the games so my two assistants typically take ownership of the scouting reports Mm -hmm. they prepare them and they also present them to the team one of the games in pac-12 my assistant kind of ran into a little emergency she wasn't able to do it so she sends me the presentation and i'm like oh great arizona state yeah no problem like i could give a scout for every team in the pac-12 with my eyes closed i know their key players their numbers their last name their hometown their best friend like we know them so well so I'm excited for a new challenge. Um, obviously, there's the going to be the challenges of travel and everything mm-hmm. like that, adjusting a little to the style of play. But I'm really excited the direction Big Ten's going. I thought things like this year, Big Ten tournament, like what an incredible production. Like yeah. our players were watching that and they're like, we get to play in that? Like, yeah. that's cool. The exposure, I think, is going to be incredible. Um, and just the opportunities that it affords our players on and off the field. Um, the support that they can get now, uh, everyone kind of like I think is critical. They're like, this is a money decision, and I'm like, as is most things in the world. Like I hate to say it, but it's true. And I think the the financial implications of us joining the Big Ten hopefully will um, kind of enhance the experience that our players are going to get overall. Absolutely. Also, a lot of frequent flyer miles, which is fine. <laughs> <laughs> So how do you feel your experience as an assistant at Stanford under Paul Radcliffe helped prepare you to take the UCLA job? I think, like, all my experiences have helped me have helped me in some way. So obviously with Stanford, as a player at Santa Clara, as a player and coach in MBLA, which is a club out in Northern California, all of those things have kind of come to have culminated in this. Um, from Stanford specifically, just learning like how to manage kind of a championship caliber team um how to get everybody understanding that like winning a championship is the ultimate goal and these are kind of all the steps you need to get there um the approach was very different because the players themselves are very different but kind of having that end game in mind was helpful and then from paul like paul is an incredible person he looks out for his staff like they are his own family, and that's something that I wanted to bring to our staff. So I was a young coach, I, kind of youngish still, but I was a young coach when I started at Stanford. I was 24 years old, and he allowed me to kind of grow into my role. He allowed the, gro- the role to kind of grow with me, so my first year or two, I had very little responsibility, very little expectation. Like, just be here, enjoy it, kind of take what you're comfortable doing, but don't worry, like, we got the rest. And then each year was just like a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. One thing he said to me will always stand out because he's so kind. Like, maybe five years in, six years in, I think he recognized that I had the potential to coach somewhere else. I had the potential to be a head coach at some point. And he brought me into his office. He never, ever is like, he's like, Mark, would you mind coming to my office later? There's nothing bad. I'm like, okay, thank you. Uh, he's so kind. And he's like, do you feel like you're doing enough? Like, and not like you're not contributing enough, but like for your own growth, your own development, do you feel like you're doing enough? Is there anything else you'd like to be doing? 
And I was like, honestly, I'm really happy. Like, no. And he's like, okay. And he's like, I just had this thought last night and I had to meet with you. He's like, because I thought, I just never want to be in your way. I never want to stand in your way. I was like, Paul, <laughs> like you are the head coach at Stanford. You can stand in my way. Like, <laughs> like, but that's how he felt. He was like, I never want to hold you back. And I was like, had a tear in my eye. And I'm like, Paul, you're doing the absolute opposite of that. But like, that's how he thinks. He's like, okay, how can we help? What can we do? How can we help her more? And so I try to make sure that I bring similar sentiment to my staff. And you talked about having that conversation with him. What made you want to jump into such a big challenge at UCLA right away? Because most assistants, they go somewhere smaller, build their experience up. <laughs> yeah, but what's funny is I don't know if that's their choice, right. honestly. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. I don't think many assistants are actually given the chance to do what I did. I don't, yeah, right? right? Like, if I had given been given the option of a UCLA or a mid-major rebuild, I probably would choose UCLA, like, yeah, right. as would likely most people, yeah. right? And I think that's where I want to be careful with how it's presented because I'm like, I had a very little piece to do with my the opportunity given to me, mm -hmm. right? Like, at the end of the day, UCLA, Aaron Adkins, my administrator, Martin Jarman, the AD, like, they chose to give me this chance, which is why I was able to do what I did right like it just doesn't come up very often same thing with Paul Ratcliffe like he chose to give a chance to a 24 year old person who has zero experience in college soccer like you Stanford paid assistant was my first collegiate job that just doesn't happen him taking a chance on me allowed me then as a young first-time head coach get the opportunity at UCLA so it's like yes I think I've made the most of my opportunities for sure but these are just opportunities that are rarely given. And I'm hoping that, you know, not just in our sport, but across sports, like younger coaches or coaches that maybe don't have exact experience start to get these chances. Um, Becca Moros, she's the head coach at Arizona. She's so strong. She encouraged me to, take, to apply for this job. And I, my first thing that I said to her was, yeah, but I've never been a head coach before. And she said, yeah, and the day you get the job, you have. And I was like, wow, that's really bold. I'll never say that, but thank you. Yes, that's exactly what I needed to hear, Becca. Thank you. Um, and, yeah, like so much of his opportunity, it's not necessarily choice. Yeah. So. And, you know, you spoke about a journey, and I know as a college player myself, the season is a journey. Was there moments throughout the season this year that were like pivotal turning moments for your team or moments where you all came together or anything For like sure. That? I mean, first was Iowa shot off the crossbar I thought oh boy oh yeah yeah that one hurt my soul a little bit I'm not gonna lie from the other perspective you know what it hurt my soul too because I, like, I was like wow it's gonna be a long season like I was like wow we talking big talk and I don't know what's gonna happen so there was that it was kind of a funny like I was like oh boy um I would say the Duke UNC weekend was huge or kind of like the string of games we played away at Santa Clara away at Duke away at UNC all in a row that was hard I knew that that was going to be a pivotal moment for us no matter which way it went um, because, honestly, I thought the, the least likely thing was that we were going to win all three games. Um, in winning all three games, I think it helped expedite the process of buy-in and trust because we tried things in those games that required our team to just trust us as a staff, and thankfully it worked. 
of course there's validation in success so because it worked now I think our players were even more apt to trust us even more apt to buy in and then it kind of set us up for success for the rest of the season I don't know what our season would have looked like if those results didn't go that way um, but the results I thought were well earned like we did something different we played kind of a counter-attacking very counter-attacking mm-hmm. we looked like Leicester City out there we were like block of eight attacking with two players like it was very fun um, but I think in asking our players to be adaptable that was also huge kind of as the season went on because we tried a lot of things throughout or like from game to game I also think the loss against USC right before playoffs was hugely pivotal maybe I spoke the final into existence because I said as soon as we lost one I was like I knew it was going to be hard because they sell they celebrated like they won a national championship yeah. as they should like I have nothing against that they knocked off number one team in the country like on home turf incredible win for Jane like I've got nothing against that but it was hard to watch and we told our players like hey as, as this time was counting down we looked down the bench and said hey like we're class like like, you don't get to be upset about this, basically. Yeah. And I said, like, if you are super upset, well, then you need to play better. Like, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> like, we've got no one to blame but ourselves, so we just own it. But the messaging after that game was like, hey, a loss like this prepares us for playoffs. I was like, and I think I said, like, who knows if we'll be down 2-0 in a game. Little did I know, but, <laughs> like, you, you kind of say, like, you don't know. And I was like, and the way we responded today is not going to serve us in the playoffs so going that first week into the first round like that was the talk like those were the things we were saying is like how do we respond when we're down a goal how do we respond when we're down two goals how do we respond like because when it had happened against USC there was panic there's a lot of panic blaming we started to stray what we were trying to do saw a lot of individual play and so we knew that that had to stop thankfully we had those conversations who knows what would have happened in the final if if we won that game 1-0, mm-hmm. right? So I think because we had had those conversations, when it happened in the final, the team knew kind of exactly what to do and more so exactly how to handle it emotionally, which was huge. Absolutely. And so going into next year, how do you feel about your roster? With new recruits coming in and then you naturally lose some superstars. Lauren Brixey, an amazing keeper. Maddie Desiano was key in that mm-hmm. tournament run of yours. So. How are you feeling going into next year? Um, uncertain, of course, like, but confident. Uh, we have a lot of great players. We don't lose anybody in the attack necessarily. Like, I mean, we of course do, but um, one or two players that, you know, like most of our goals are coming back, I will say. Um, I think we'll lose some leadership for sure both Maddie and Lauren were huge in that Mary Carmen also one of our Mm -hmm. team captains Jackie Gilday she came in off the bench often to the season but she was like our great stabilizer she said to once to us she's like if there's any problem like I feel confident I can go in and solve it and I was like yeah we do too so that's often why you go in there (laughs) thank you um and so we lose those pieces I'm really curious to see how our team comes back um more so than personnel, I think our bigger challenge to what we spoke to before is like, how do we handle our approach to the season? I feel confident like we have this year, I thought we were 35 strong. And so we have the players, I think, to be a championship level team again. Like, 
that we know we will definitely miss the ones that have left every single one had a great role we have the players to be successful but our approach I think our approach is what set us apart this year and for us to do well again our approach has to set us apart again Absolutely. and with that too you've had three players that are now starting the journey of their professional career two of them getting drafted and then um, going to La Liga with the other so what do you say to them what does that mean for you to give that send off I'm so happy for them like all of those players have gone through a lot um, whether it was through injury in a case like Lauren like she had been to the final four three times which is funny because she was only been to the final four when I was there but I was there on the other team um, <laughs> and you know she was there at 2017 she was a six-year senior, so she was there in 2017, but she was a redshirt player. Then she was there in 2019, but she was second string keeper. So it was so cool to see her journey, like, from a player that's redshirting to then a player that played behind um, Tegan, like, and didn't really get those minutes, to now, like, the star of the show, right? And mm -hmm. I was so happy for her. She is also one of the most thoughtful, genuine people I've coached in my career. And she, like... When she got drafted, the first thing she did was call our, our assistant, Molly, who works with her on a day-to-day -day basis, and, like, Molly was crying. Like, they just had this moment of, like, we did this. Like, look how far we've come. We did this. So I'm really happy for her. Maddie, of course, has gone through injury. She really only played two years at UCLA out of five. Like, and, um, like, her story is just one of resilience. Her story is also one of trust. Like, she was probably the, one of the biggest voices on our team that encouraged her teammates to trust us. There was moments through the season, she's like, you guys, we just have to do it. Like, trust the staff. They're putting us in the best position possible, but not, but we have to do it. And so that was massive. And it was so cool for her. Like, the goal she scored in the semifinal was just electric. Like, so happy for her. And then Mary, of course, like, to end your career on winning, <laughs> on a game-winning goal. And I have to share this story with you guys because it's so special and it, it will like it's like etched in my heart as a memory that I, I will have forever Mary had a difficult playoffs she had been starting for us most of the year mm -hmm. great player she plays with passion like that's her thing unfortunately she got like the worst flu ever imaginable in the beginning of playoffs to the point where she was like barely m making it out of her house like just really struggling now it's playoffs and we had choices to make like like it's not really a game where you can play for 10 minutes if you're not playing or like feeling mm -hmm. that well. So she kind of fell out of our lineup and we kind of had to just like move on through playoffs because it's crunch time and we didn't really have the flexibility to change or like work her way back, I guess. Mm -hmm. So credit to her because in the final four, this is a player that has played significant minutes all year, started most games all year. Final four, she plays probably 15 minutes in the semi. Maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. In the final, she plays the last five minutes, I don't even think that, probably the last three minutes of the first half, out of position. Like, just, like, I mean, like, she's a midfielder by trade, and we put her at right forward to, in a weird, like, give someone a break, basically. Yeah. Give them, like, an, an extended halftime, right? Second half rolls around, we go down 2-0. Our midfield's playing well. We felt like we're getting, Mary gives us a ton of attack, but she likes to roam as like a 10, but we needed structure. So it kind of tactically wasn't the game for her to play in the midfield necessarily. 
So we're down 2-0. We score. And now it's 2-1, 10 minutes left. Credit to Molly, my assistant. I will give her 100% credit on this. She looks at us, and we needed something different. Yeah. And she's like, you guys, like, like, we have to put Mary in. And she's like, this is the last 10 minutes of her career. She's given this program so much. She plays with so much passion. Like, we got to give it to her. And we're like, you know what? Okay, like, let's do it. We put her in. She goes in, makes a difference. We end up tying the game. We have only five minutes between regulation and overtime. Again, prior to 15 seconds, we could have lost, so I wasn't necessarily thinking about our tactics in overtime. Like, I was <laughs> mostly thinking, wow, Marguerite, like, you're going to have to hold it together as we watch the other team celebrate their national championship. Like, I'm going to have to talk to the team. I have to talk to the press. Like, I was more in that mindset. Mm-hmm. Then we tie, and I was like, ooh, got to think about overtime now. Credit to Mary. She runs to us, the three of us, and we're, like, debating our tactics. And she's like, Mark, like, very confidently and very just, like, emotionally but emotionally present. She's like, Mark, like, am I staying on? And I kind of just froze because we had not talked about that yet. And she's like, am I staying on? And I was, like, just looked at her, and she goes, it gets me emotional. She's like, believe in me. Like, I can do this. Believe in me. And I was like, okay. (laughs) I was like, that sounds great. 100% we believe like we are on board and we kind of look at each other and we're like yeah you're on and we left her on at right forward which is not her position right and we like went for it who ends up scoring Mary like it was like a fateful thing which was so cool it gives me chills yeah it gives me chills and tears because she just was like I can do this like believe me I I can do this and we went with it and sometimes I think like things just fall into place and that was one of those moments like if that was a different player who knows if that moment would have happened um what is funny though is when she scored we actually had to take her off the field because we're like can you get it together she's like no (laughs) (laughs) just crying her face just just bawling crying and we're like mary are you good she's like no (laughs) and so we end up subbing her off in the last two minutes just because she was a mess not a mess is not the right word like she was just overwhelmed with emotion and it was just such a perfect moment and so for her to kind of like ride off into the sunset on that note Mm. I think is like again so special and it it really does represent kind of what the senior class has gone through and um, what they're I, I think going to bring with them into their professional careers amazing yeah so what is your advice to all the young women, girls out there who are looking to get into, improve their playing careers, their coaching careers? What would you say to them? Um, one, like, do what you love and foster that love. Like, we tell younger players all the time, like, if you love juggling, juggle. Like, if that's going to increase your love for the game, do that. If you love... 1v1 with your little sister like do that like do those things because college soccer is hard like it's hard it's a grind you know yeah like there are some really good days there are some other really bad (laughs) days like you have to really enjoy the game and um what i hate to see is like a player gets to college they may not really love it and then they're kind of like going through the motions but i don't blame them like it's just not the right fit anymore and so it's like, can you cultivate that? I think similarly on a coaching standpoint, like the, it's a grind. My uh, assistant Molly often laughs like when someone's like, yeah, I want to get into coaching. She's like, why? Like, <laughs> it's hard, you know? And like, we, we go through a lot. We feel the responsibility for so many people. 
that are also going through a lot and it's like a very emotionally charged game so it's hard so like find ways to cultivate that love for coaching that love for the game and also find ways to like give yourself a break so that you can still love it and that's something that I've really learned this year like just how important that day off the one day off in the week that we get like how important that is and making sure that we see that as like a self-preservation of sorts and that that is huge the other thing is just surround yourself with good people like I've been so um, impacted by people along the way that have gone an extra mile to help me out and I think there's a lot more good than bad in this game um, a lot more good than bad in the coaching world and it's like just find those people that are going to have your back so Chelsea Braun is one of your mm -hmm. assistant coaches. Yeah. Do you do a little shout out to Tudela FC, which is a phenomenal club? Do you, do you work? Do you guys ever? I see them at your games. Yes. <laughs> so just we always like to bring like the youngers. Oh yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, people so often ask me, and I'll get to Tudela in a second because I I love what they're doing. Um, but people so often ask me, ask me, like you did, like, well, what did you learn at Stanford that prepared you for this? Or what did you learn at Santa Clara that prepared you for this? I'm like, let's not forget, like, what I learned at MBLA being a club coach for 15 years that prepared me for this, like, almost more. Um, I love, like, our staff, we truly value, like, the development side of the game, which is, like, the whole body of club. And that's... The, like the fun part also I had the most incredible club experience as a player that set me up like we talked about for loving the game like my experience as a club player set me up to love the game so much that I could be successful now and I think that's so important um, Chelsea is like the nicest person I ever met in my entire life it's amazing that she played at UCLA and then what she and her husband doing I think is so special because it's different and they value the, the individual development, the creativity, the ownership of, of kind of the time and effort it takes to be a master on the ball. Um, so we love that. We love having them at our games. Um, Goff and Molly, my two assistants, they also work, they work for Tadella um, and they, they, I think it's, it's so fun when you go from a UCLA training and then in Molly's case, her next training is a 2014 training. And, but in this theme of loving the game, like that helps you love the game because it's like UCLA can be really stressful at times. And then you go to like ladybugs and cartwheels and you're like, you know what? It's like pretty fun actually. And even in my last um, job when I was at Stanford, I coached for MBLA the entire time I was at Stanford. And in my last season, so MBLA is a little different in that if you want to, you can keep a team from the time they're U6 all the way to U18. That was the system that I grew up in. So Albertine Montoya was my coach from the time I started soccer at U9 till I was 18 years old. And he's my greatest mentor of all time. And I had actually started coaching in club when I was still a player at Santa Clara. What's amazing and so special to me is players that I had then when they were in first and second grade, I stayed with them all the way till they went to college and now they're juniors in college. And we're playing against them. And I'm like, this is hilarious because I've known you since you were six. Like, <laughs> this is so funny. What was so special to me is when we won, the amount of, um, just even on social media or players that have reached out to me, like, just as much as I felt connected to them, I think they felt like they had seen me grow up. So they felt like this pride because I started coaching them when I was 19. And then all yeah. of a sudden, like, 
I'm winning a national championship. And they were like, I'd get a text from one of my players. She was like, I'm a proud mom. Like, <laughs> she's like this is a proud mom moment to, like, to see me do that. So that was really, really cool. And that, that doesn't happen without my experience in club. There were so many incredible nuggets of, of gold from that interview. Uh, credit to, to Sam Carey, my counterpart, who asked some amazing questions um, to kind of bring that out of her, along with what I had to ask as well. I still got to give myself some credit, you know what I mean? I can't just <laughs> not pass that over, but uh, an amazing interview. The, you talk about the how UCLA had to address the fact that teams think that they were soft and how they don't defend as well and aren't as tough and and how they turn that around and that was that became a focal point in practice constantly for them and and you could see it that's how they came back in the national title game you're talking about the story of Mary Carmen Reyes who was in and out of the team a starter who wasn't able to start due due to just bad flu-like symptoms sickness whatever it was she literally could barely get out of bed and then comes in to score the game winner in the national championship game so there's so many great nuggets of just how Marguerite and her staff were able to really build something special there from the beginning, from and just her analytical mind and her ability to stay calm. And that was the other funny thing. She says in her head, she's thinking about how to address the team, uh, assuming that that they were about to lose. And so, you know, the goal goes in, and what ensued from that point on is just utter madness. But yeah, it, it was an amazing interview getting to speak with her. She was so kind. Uh, so caring and and really for her to come down and, and sit down with us for that amount of time and talk about her experiences and the team was was truly something special so we are so appreciative of ucla the the program and what she's doing there and to have that was was really an amazing experience we hope you guys enjoyed it let us know be sure to let us know if those are the types of interviews that you guys want to continue to hear from us can we get more college coaches can we get more pro players is anyone that you specifically want to hear from and we can reach out and do that okay so be sure to again get in touch with us on social media you can get to me at Rowan Datas 25 r-o-w-i-n-d-a-t-s 25 or search my name rotas wadera r-o-h-t-a-s and then wadera w-a-d-e-r-a so again get in touch with me for more content right ideas check me out on instagram and we can bring you more content like this okay because it was again an amazing interview to have her for a full you know 35 to 45 minute period and she was great Alrighty, we got to move on here to some other news around the world of women's soccer a couple of key stories that we definitely wanted to get you caught up on first off the nwsl draft now i that was the other great part about the convention was being able to attend the draft in person. It had been a couple of years, right, because of COVID and the last couple of years it's been tough for us because we've had to do the, do interviews with players and things like that all uh, via Zoom. So it's not really the same. Again, we had Sam and Jen really get out there on the red carpet before you know, the draft and, and to see her talking with some of the players because she has that familiarity of being a college player, they were able to really get some great stuff and open up to her. So again, 
on Instagram, TikTok. We have so much great stuff like that. Again, if you want to go check it out, be sure to go to our social media pages and find some of that content. But yeah, getting back to the NWSL draft, it was truly a special night to be there. It was long. It did get long towards the end, but it was an amazing, amazing night overall. And to be there in person, it honestly was a dream come true of mine to kind of witness that. Uh, the, the coverage itself could have been better. There, <laughs> there were times where we're literally sitting there live and the cameraman is does not have the proper angle. The directors just did not get it right. We couldn't see the players' faces when they were being interviewed. Apparently there was a hot mic um, on air as well <laughs> during the broadcast. So there's still some things that the league needs to work out from a production perspective, right? So that they don't have to <laughs> run into issues like this going forward. But in terms of what actually went down, it, it was something special. The atmosphere inside the convention was fantastic. Gotham FC fans traveled, made the trip to Philly. Uh, and they were there in full force. There were some blockbuster trades. There were some incredibly heartwarming moments, a ton of drama. Let's get into some of what happened. The first round, I think, was very, very shocking outside of the first pick. Again, Alyssa Thompson going to Angel City. It's a dream story. L.A. girl stays at home, 17 years old, doesn't have to go anywhere, and gets to be the, the future of the franchise. And it's long term a great investment for angel city because she's going to develop into the next star and you have a future superstar to replace Kristen press down the line who is still in recovery from her acl injury so this is the type of move that gets people excited i think a lot of people though in terms of who's the best player available it was probably michelle cooper and so i think a lot of people are wondering well hey this, this better work out. <laughs> this better work out. And Alyssa Thompson, who is featured for the U.S. Women's National Team on many occasions. Um, not many occasions, excuse me. But she just made her debut. And we've got to see her in the public eye now. It, it made sense for Angel City to go in that direction. But after that, we had a ton of, a ton of craziness. Gotham continued to trade back. And at first we were kind of like, why would you tr pass up on Michelle Cooper? Especially the fact that they gave the number two pick to Kansas City so that they could select Michelle Cooper. And they gave up Lynn Williams in the deal. So if you're Kansas City, you also have your superstar striker for the future. Arguably the best player in the draft. And to be fair, Lynn Williams is just older there's not no one is saying that she can't play at, a, at an incredibly high level and can get back to you know being at her absolute best there is no one saying that but it's like for future prospects you have the opportunity to get younger at the position um, and build around that roster michelle cooper was a, a home run for kansas city but by giving up the fourth pick here's what Gotham did right not only they knew that the Jenna Nyswanger was going to be available at four Emily Madrill went to Orlando at three that's a cornerstone center back right there but Jenna Nyswanger also had an incredible year and this was her first year getting uh to play free getting to play in that attacking position that she's always wanted to play in in that midfield spot and we saw the difference for Florida State this year distributing and scoring she can do a little bit of everything and so now you add Lynn Williams and Nyswanger to the Gotham attack, a team that has struggled to to consistently score goals. That's really been the big issue for them the last couple of years. And so what, is, what do Gotham do? They go and address that immediately. That was a great, great 
steal of a move, to be honest with you. So Nyswanger and Williams, Gotham just got a lot better in attack. Reina Reyes, another cornerstone. I don't think there was any question there. Portland gets a great one to bolster their defenses. You need um, replacements for Becky Sauerbrunn down the line. She's not going to be there forever. So Reina Reyes made a ton of sense there. The Courage had three first round, four first round picks, excuse me, uh, doing what they do um, going back to the, the dominant dynasty days where they built through the draft, and that was something they were looking to do here. Two of the three picks were... <laughs> A bit surprising, to be honest with you. I was not expecting um, some of the Olivia Wingate to go six. Um, I think she's a great player, but I think six was a bit of a reach. Same for Sydney Collins out of Cal Berkeley. I don't think anyone had her in the first round among mock, mock drafts and things like that. So the courage, you know, get Clara Robbins, though, with the third of their fourth round picks. And I think that was something that was a big move for them. She should have gone way sooner, and the courage getting her with. Their third pick, still great. Again, her knee has given her trouble in the past. She wears that big brace on it, but she's still a, an amazing player. And I think that's the type of player who can come in and, and do play or play in the type of role that Sam Mewis did, uh, where she's going to do the dirty work and she has the ability to distribute and go forward. So I think she can do a little bit of everything. I love that pick. And the other shocker for the Courage was to trade Diana Ordonez away after the year that she had last year. Uh, she made a request that she wanted to be closer to her family, and the Courage accepted that request, but gave up way too much in the process. They gave up quite a few picks, um, and they did get one pick back, and used that on Haley Hopkins, another Virginia player, just like Ordonez was, another forward attacking player. Hopkins is... is a big target who can do quite a bit and playing coming out of the ACC you know what she's going to be able to bring in terms of the competitiveness and being in that type of a conference it just makes you better prepared for a league like the NWSL so Haley Hopkins going there to replace Ordonez and then Robbins two of the four picks I thought were pretty solid for the courage uh Kansas City also took Alexa Spanstra which who was also a first projected first round pick out of Virginia had an incredible year. Virginia, I mean, also continues to churn out pros. They're, they're a really great program. Everyone knows that. And Alexis Spanstra in attack is going to be able to give them a little bit more to in attack to go with a player like a Sam Uis and other players who are in that strong midfield, Lola Banta, to, to give support. So it's exciting to see what... Uh, what direction or how Kansas City is going to look next year, having reloaded and making the final last year, expectations are going to be very, very high. Uh, Penelope Hawking going to uh, the Chicago Red Stars, that was a big deal. You're wondering how, what direction Chicago was going to go in because their entire midfield is gone. Mo Bryan, Danielle Colaprico, Vanessa DiBernardo, all gone. How is that going to impact? Did they, but they went attack. They they clearly said, we have Mallory Pugh and we need to... Kaylee Ojai is still on the mend after uh, having her baby. So, Kaylee Watt now, excuse me, I keep going to Kaylee Ojai. That's my mistake. Kaylee Watt uh, is now, uh, you know, on her way to coming back. So, you have Penelope Hawking and then they took her college teammate, Allison Schlegel, uh, in the later rounds, so you have Hawking and Schlegel to go alongside Mallory Pugh. Uh, the Chicago attack is going to be fun to watch moving forward, that is for sure. As we go through the rest of some of these later picks, right, Ordonez naturally got 
got traded. Abby Urseg was furious about that trade, mind you. She said, I don't know if you guys all saw the tweet where she said, yup, it's official. We still suck at trades in 2023. Uh, she was not happy with that Ordonez deal, uh, which I thought was very, very funny for her to tweet out. A lot of players don't openly do that. We know how uh, outspoken and passionate Abby Urseg is about the game so she was not going to hold back there i thought that was very very funny <laughs> there was two other players marquee names that went later on jalissa harris uh and messia bright harris was a first round pick but somehow fell to the bottom of the second round it was a steal for houston to use their first pick of the draft um, and get her when they did they waited and waited and they got you know they, they traded way most of their first round picks and were able to get Harris when they've always needed defensive help so that's a potential starter right there off the bat and then Orlando has a striker in Messia Bright she she can create chances scoring 49 career goals at TCU she's the real deal y'all and they need a replacement for Alex Morgan it's been tough uh, last year was tough we saw what Orlando could do defensively their ability to stifle teams but we knew that they also needed to boost their attack. And Messier Bright's going to be able to do that, being a prolific scorer at the college level. We talked about Emily Madrill already, but then you add Tori Hansen as well from North Carolina in round three, one of the best defenders in the nation. They're quietly building something and flying under the radar. I really believe this team is going to surprise everyone next year. And they're going to be a fun team to watch. Even adding Summer Yates, round four out of Washington. Again, another player with a first-round grade who could have been taken in the first round and fell to round four. So that's another great value pick for Orlando. Six keepers taken with only 48 picks in the draft. That was a lot. Uh, but there's always teams looking to add depth with some aging stars at the position. And then another cool fun fact, two different sisters, uh, were taken so Ileana Hawking is the twin of Penelope Hawking so you have two sisters going in the same draft that must have been a special moment for both you know for for the Hawking family to see them both eventually get drafted and then Natalie Vigiano out of Wisconsin her older sister is Marissa playing uh you know for Orlando and so naturally we see Natalie enter the league now so we got a little bit of sibling rivalry here at uh, hopefully everyone makes their respective teams and gets the opportunity to play against each other. That would be a really, really cool storyline down the line. And so the OL Reign took Natalie, and we'll see if Orlando and Seattle or the OL Reign get some, get some opportunities to square off against each other. Overall, it was an amazing draft. And again, keep your eyes peeled for any other content coming from the draft. Thank y'all. Next up, we have the U.S. Women's National Team taking on New Zealand in uh, multiple friendlies to get ready for the She Believes Cup, which is to get ready for the World Cup coming up this summer. So it was a, the first time this team was back together uh, for quite some time, and naturally, uh, playing against a team like New Zealand, you knew what was going to happen. Uh, the New Zealand's only beaten the United States, I think, once all time. And so it's always tough sledding. It was just Allie Riley out there, uh, really, for New Zealand. The first game, the United States had 75% possession, but it was still pretty shocking that the match was nil-nil at halftime in that first match. They really did not were not clinical enough in taking some of the chances they had alex morgan had a header she missed lindsey haran had a shot in front of goal that she normally 
you know, missed from close range. It was a great save from Aaron Naylor, but still, Lindsey Horan, a player of that quality, you expect her to slot that home. There was some great play in that first half. They just weren't able to break through, but Trinity Rodman was the story for me. Uh, naturally, Mallory Pugh has been amazing. She is back with a vengeance, and it's super cool to see her career take off in the right direction, trending upward now after all the injuries. And you, you could go back to our episodes that we talked about if Mallory Pugh can get healthy. Uh, she's being forgotten about, and now she's back. We we said it first, all right? I'm, I'm going to let you all know now. We've been, we've been on the Mal, Mal Pugh train, even though she's now Mallory Swanson now. Because uh, seeing her and Dansby, you know, Dansby Swanson kind of have their careers take off since coming together has been really cool to see. They're, they're clearly good for each other. I don't know too much. I don't want to speculate too much. That's their business. But clearly the relationship is working for the both of them. They're both doing great things right now. Trinity Rodman, like I said, three assists in the two games overall. The two in the first game were, were special. I mean showing off both feet I mean I no one knew that she had this in her locker like and clearly the work is is coming is paying off the work that she's putting in is of the highest level so it's super exciting to see her against a team that she should play well against really look this good blowing by markers putting in like incredible crosses this is looking like a potential role that she's carving out for herself within the U.S. national team and then you know Rose Lavelle is Rose Lavelle. The the back heel assist to set up Alex Morgan, the finish, just something special. Like waiting, 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 waiting. Aaron Naylor comes out, cuts off the angle, and Morgan just times it to perfection. And essentially, nutmegs Naylor, goes through the legs, and finds the side netting. I mean, that is just timing, focus, preparation, all coming together in that moment along with the ability to finish and it's like about executing in that moment and that's exactly what Alex Morgan is one of the best in the world at doing so you know 4-0 after the first game now Swanson with two goals Lynn William Lynn Williams was able to come back in and get one again courtesy of uh Trinity Rodman putting in a great ball so again they pretty much dominated there was nothing that New Zealand had to offer 75 percent and we kind of said that that's how it would go going into the second match and it was more of the same New Zealand did much better they were able to actually possess a little bit more bring the ball into the United States half a little bit more still Alyssa Nair was never really challenged at any point during the during the match and so you, the United States still were able to really have their way 5-0 and it wasn't even really close from any any angle any perspective again Trinity Rodman looked great Ashley Hatch had to come in because again Alex Morgan had a a tweak a lower leg lower leg tightness I believe in warm-ups and so naturally you take every precaution necessary Hatch scored a nice goal to, to come in on short notice like that and, and score was was a big deal again on the assist from Trinity Rodman. A great ball sprinting down the field, the left flank, and she's got to play in a ball with her left foot. The number of players that fluff that and don't get it right is staggering. There's so many players that you're. it's a hard thing to do. And again, Trinity made it look easy playing it in with her left foot right into the path of Hatch. And there was so many great moments overall from, from the match and how things played out, you saw just how strong the United States national team was in attack. Uh, again, as expected against New Zealand, 
and we will talk about the She Believes Cup coming up once rosters come out for that, and we will break down. Again, it's kind of like the last major competition, last bit of real opportunity to see just how good this United States team can be in in these situations. Again, Naomi Gurma has been amazing. There's so many great things about this team right now. I think the only thing that is worrisome is this number six spot. Who is going to play it? And who's going to play it well? Uh, to me, again, we've talked about Andy Sullivan many times, and we need her to to play to the level of a Julie Ertz or a Sam Ewis, and it doesn't quite feel like that's happening at this present moment. And so there's still time to to see how she fits in, who is going to play in that number six spot, because that's really the one area with Mewis and Ertz both not in the team. Who is going to do that? Who's going to do the defensive dirty work? And that's really been the one thing that's missing from this team. Otherwise, they're complete. They're complete in all areas. They're just a little inexperienced. So how do you see this going forward? It's going to be interesting to keep an eye going into next month's She Believes Cup. And again, we will have a preview for you. But for right now, things are great. They did what they were supposed to do, and they handled business as they should. 2-9-0 over our combined two games against New Zealand. That's exactly what you would expect. Before we get into our last topic of the day, we definitely wanted to give a shout-out to one of our other sponsors, Parkside Trading Cards. If you aren't into trading cards, I'm telling y'all right now as an avid card collector, you need to get into that space right away because women's soccer is growing and the card market has been as better than it's ever been. And so ripping cards, one is not only fun, you get to collect all your cards, but you you never know what you're going to get. You never know what you're going to hit. So Parkside has really upgraded year after year and doing a better job of improving their product and so before it was just the regular trading cards with unique inserts and autographs but this year they added a paramount set which again is slightly pricier but still more than affordable right three packs of of about 10 cards and they're really high quality cards guys okay we did a rip for parkside at the convention and pulled an alex morgan NWSL 10 coin card built in to the card, okay? And you check eBay, that's already selling right now for about $60 to $100. So if you were to have that card in that box, you already made your money back, right, for for ripping that card. Again, don't, again it's if you are going to rip cards, it's about volume, right? You have to make sure that you consistently rip and you consistently go after it. That's why Parkside is great for get consistently buying their product to getting to hunting for some of the autographs or some of the amazing cards that you might look for. Again, if you are interested in ripping some cards and you would like to know more about what Parkside does, again, go to their website. Parkside Trading Cards, and again, search for that, right? It'll come up almost immediately. We have a code with them, GSN10, for 10% off. Again, GSN10 for 10% off. You definitely do not want to miss out on that deal. Again, cards galore, you never know what you're going to get. A Jaden Shaw, if you hit a Jaden Shaw autograph or rookie card, you just hit the lotto, my friends, okay? That card is going to be it's worth a lot right now and could be worth a lot more assuming her career pans out and she becomes the the superstar that we're thinking that she's going to become. So, it's going to be it's going to be fun to keep an eye on that and again parksidecards.com go check it out. We definitely wanted to get to 
some news in England. Uh, there is the Liberty A-League going on right now as well in Australia. The other European leagues are in full force as well. Italy, Spain, France. But the, what ha- what's happening in the FAWSL was something that we thought was really cool. We're seeing a lot of star players from the English national team spread out. Not just English players, but stars in general spreading out to kind of even out the league a little bit because it has been quite top-heavy between Arsenal, Chelsea, and Manchester City. And now Manchester United is slowly creeping into that top tier as well. But it's mostly been those three teams for as long as it has. So Jordan Nobbs, a big-time player at Arsenal, leaves to go to Aston Villa. Lucy Staniforth, again, big-time player from Man United, goes to Aston Villa. So they're upgrading. You add Rachel Daly, all of a sudden they have a, a little bit more of a formidable team. Tottenham as well making moves. Mana Iwabuchi they they bring in from Aston Villa. And then you have Bethany England as well coming over from Chelsea to Tottenham. One of the best strikers in the league going to Tottenham. So all of a sudden now you have some star players that you recognize on some of the teams that you would not have expected them to be on. And that just adds to the parity of the league and hopefully things, you know, even out a little bit more. And you have, lastly, Estelle Cascarino. That was a huge move to get Cascarino in for Manchester United from PSG. When a big star player like that leaves a French side that has been there for so long and enters the fray with Manchester United, it's a big deal. So all those moves are big ones. And be sure to, again, keep an eye on how the FAWSL pans out. I'm obviously rooting for Manchester United to... Hanging in, in that title race, they are right there, neck and neck, but I think everyone kind of expects Chelsea or Arsenal to find a way to, to still win the league. But do not count out Manchester United. Ella Toon is continuing to just get better and better and better. She's on another level right now. So again, keep an eye on Manchester United. They are fun to watch. Katie Zalem, Alessia Russo, who I believe had a Puskas uh, nominee uh, from... I believe it was the Euros, uh, so <laughs> a lot of great stuff happening over there. Manchester United, Mark Skinner is doing an amazing job right now. Alrighty, that is everything that we have for you today on episode 57 of Give and Go. I am your host, Rotas Badera, and again, thank you so, so much for making the choice to listen to us at Girls Soccer Network. Again, go to www.girlsoccernetwork.com and check out Give and Go wherever you get your podcasts. We've got a lot of great content coming, and again, this was a special, special one with Marguerite Alzaza, the UCLA head coach. Be sure to go back and listen to the interview uh, if you haven't already. Love y'all. We truly, truly appreciate you guys. Thank you all for listening. Peace out.